got the drive to create things. You're a writer, a photographer, a musician, a maker. You're ready to make things happen. But chasing creative isn't always easy. Your time and energy go to your work, your family, and your life. Is it really possible to make space for the creative in your everyday? Here at the Chasing Creative Podcast, we believe you can. We're everyday creatives who have insights and action steps you can take today to make your creative plans happen. I'm Ashley Brooks, a freelance writer and editor at Brooks Editorial and a work-at-home mom of three. I spend my creative time working on a novel and occasionally doing some knitting. And I'm Abigail Creeps, the writer and photographer behind Inkwells and Images. I'm also a work-at-home mom of one, learning to balance work and home and trying to find a little bit of time to work on something just for fun. And you're listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. We are excited to welcome Nicole Galata back to the podcast today. Nicole is the author of Wild Words, Rituals, Routines, and Rhythms for Braving the Writer's Path and Eat This Poem, a literary feast of recipes inspired by poetry. As the founder of the Wild Words community, she helps fellow writers embrace the season they're in, create at their own pace, and care for their minds and bodies along the way. Nicole holds an MFA in poetry from Vermont College of Fine Arts, and her work has been featured in Life and Time, The Right Life, Motherly, Fathom, and others. Born and raised in Southern California, she lives outside Raleigh, North Carolina with her husband and son, and you can connect with Nicole online at thewildwords.com or on Instagram at Nicole Galata. And you might recognize Nicole as a familiar name because we first spoke with her back in season three, episode two, which we will link to in the show notes, when we talked about literary cooking inspired by her first book, Eat This Poem. Now she has a new book out in October called Wild Words, Rituals, Routines, and Rhythms for Braving the Writer's Path. And that makes her the perfect guest to kick off our new season about ebbs and flows of the creative process. So welcome back to the podcast, Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on again. I'm really excited to chat. Yeah, so you have experienced the ups and downs of the writing life plenty of times, and especially now that you have published two books. So what did you learn about the writing and publishing process the first time around that maybe changed the way you approached these different seasons as you wrote Wild Words? Sure, well, I feel like every book is inherently different, of course, not only in subject matter, but just by way of the fact that your life often looks really different when you're writing the book. So you automatically just need to make adjustments to accommodate whatever is going on. And the first time around, I actually wasn't writing under contract initially. So Eat This Poem was basically written by the time I got a contract and the writing process happened over a period of about two years. And during that time, I was really establishing my process for what I call writing in the margins, which is basically this idea that you're capturing time to write even in small increments, like I'm talking like five, 10 minutes here or there, and believing that that can actually add up to something. So when it came time to write Wild Words, I really leaned on that philosophy a lot, especially in the early drafts, um, just trying to get those chapters down and basically stealing time when I could get it throughout the day. You know, a few years later, my schedule was a bit more unpredictable. So I was really just living out that writing in the margins philosophy and I was writing on my phone. I was writing for 15 minutes. I often, when I would leave work to go pick up my son from preschool, the drive was about 10 minutes and I would 
often get a lot of ideas during that drive. And so I would park the car at preschool, pull out my phone and write everything down that I could remember before I went to get him. So that sort of thing. And all of that really just adds up. And the other thing that's probably worth mentioning here, kind of alluded to, is that for Wild Words, I'd become a parent at this point. So my son had not been born when I wrote Eat This Poem. So writing book two was really different simply because I had something else and something very big to juggle that was not there before. And I'm the kind of person that does not like asking for help typically. I think that's pretty common. Um, But I realized that literally the only way I'd be able to start and finish a book in less than a year because I was under contract for this book was to get support. And that mostly looked like really having my husband on board and just fully committed to this process that I had to go through, Uh, especially on the weekends, like when I needed to leave the house and just really encouraging me. So that played a big role in enabling that book to be written as well. Yeah, writing in the margins is a skill that I think can serve you well in uh, a lot of different phases of life. And it's it's nice because it has the flexibility to move with you, whether you're, you know, in a really intense season at work or you have a new baby or, you know, you're going through some other major life transition like moving or something like that. Like it can really work with you no matter what your schedule or your life looks like. Oh, absolutely. And I think at first it can seem kind of frustrating, especially if you're used to having more time to write, Um, like maybe like pre, you know, family life, um, you know, you had all this time and then you have a baby and suddenly you have none of it. But what I found was you really you see the change after about you have to do it for maybe a month or so of writing you know in 10 minutes here or there and then when you have a little bit of time to sit down and open that document that you've been working and suddenly you have the makings of a chapter or you have the draft of something and you're not starting from a blank page and i found that that's just enough motivation to keep it going and to see that it really does work and it does add up in the end Yeah, that is super encouraging for both of us who are trying to write books in the margins is what we get to work on them. Oh, I'm so (laughs) So. glad. You can write a book in 10 minutes a day. I'm proof it can be done. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) That is just what we wanted to hear. (laughs) Yeah. So the creative life really comes with its own seasons from, you know, concepting the project to writing the project, editing the project, and then marketing the project. But those seasons also really just exist alongside those hills and valleys that we experience in our day-to-day life. So do you have any tips for people who are struggling to kind of align their creative season with their life season? Like, for instance, a classic example of a woman who has so many creative ideas but no time to execute them, either because she has kids or a busy career or both. Um, what Any tips for that person? Yes. So the short answer to this question is you need to change your expectations. I really do believe that. That Mm -hmm. has been the most reliable way that I found to reduce the feeling of being overwhelmed or behind or all that stuff and actually get clarity on what's most important to focus on in each life season. And I used to be able to do all the things and do them well. And after I became a mother, 
you know, everything changes, of course, as you know, and the real gift of motherhood for me, I think from a creative sense has been really forcing my hand to do less and to get clear on what I need to be doing and just staying the course with it. And when I talk about shifting expectations, I mean that in both big and small ways. So for example, if you want to write a book, that's great. But what else do you have going on, right? So if you want to write a book, but you're also blogging and podcasting and sending a newsletter and writing for a local magazine and guest posting and whatever else you have going on, you can't possibly continue doing all of those things at once if you have this big project on your plate. And that doesn't even account for anything going on in your personal or professional life with like family and job stuff. So, you know, something has to give, which at the beginning, kind of like if you're starting to write in the margins and really adopt that philosophy, it seems like a really big sacrifice at first and really frustrating because you're doing all of these things presumably for a reason and you want to keep doing them. But I think that those choices you're making to let something go or just put something on pause temporarily is actually in service to whatever creative project needs to take priority. So saying no actually empowers you to divert more of your energy to whatever story you need to tell in this season. And then in small ways, you might have an initial goal to maybe draft you know, a certain number of words per week, or you have a really unachievable timeline. Or if you're a blogger, you might be trying to publish new posts every single week. But I always ask the question now, how can I make this easier? How can I do less of something? And so anytime I feel overwhelmed, that's where I start. That's a really helpful thing to hear because I think oftentimes creatives and maybe particularly writers, but any uh, type of creative feels like that other stuff is not non-negotiable or is not negotiable. They feel like mm-hmm. if they give up Instagram or the newsletter or the blogging or the guest posting or all those other things that we're told we're supposed to do in online life today, they feel like they're basically giving up their creative career because if you're just hunkered down doing the work and nobody's seeing it, then like it just kind of feels like, well, what's the point then? Or like, I'm not going to have a platform when it is finished. And it's very heartening to hear from somebody who has two published books that that's not the case and that it is okay to take that time and divert, divert all that energy to the big project and the major thing that's in front of you. And then maybe choose just like, depending on what your life looks like, maybe just one other thing or two other things if you have the space for it, but let some of that other stuff go because you can't do it all and you don't necessarily need to. A publisher isn't expecting you to be on and everywhere all the time. That does not disqualify you from being a writer. Exactly. You're exactly right. And just another example too. So this past year when I was writing Wild Words, I stopped blogging for a year. The only thing that I kept was my weekly newsletter because I felt like that was a really important way to continue building trust with my audience and um, continuing to grow my readership and my community. So that was really important to me, but I didn't do a lot of social media and I stopped blogging. So yeah, you really just have to make those choices in order to prioritize yeah that other work. And then you can get back to it 
you know, as it feels comfortable, um, or you can just minimize some of those other things. Again, like I, just, I gave the example, I think with blogging, like if you still want to blog, maybe you can, but you just don't do it as frequently and you remove the pressure. Yes. It doesn't have to be all or nothing. And it doesn't right. have to be like forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> like you can yep. never go back to this thing. Like, <laughs> of course you can always go back to that thing later when the timing is right. Yeah. Seasons change. Yeah. That's so important to remember. Um, and that's one big thing that you talk about in your new book, Wild Words. You really look at the writing life through the lens of different seasons. Um, so some of them that you look at are the season of discontent, the season of raising young children, the season of finishing, and and so forth. Um, and I was really intrigued by the season of listening to your body. So I am terrible at being in touch with my physical self. Um, I really speed through life um, and my to-dos and struggle to sneak in moments for writing or for creative projects, but I often get stopped short by a tight muscle in my neck or an ache in my lower back that I just can't get rid of anymore. Um, And this is definitely happening more and more now that I'm a mom in her 30s, which is hard to say. And constantly, you know, (laughs) lifting and pulling a toddler. And then I'm also expecting. So adding in that layer of pregnancy to the mix now is making it really important that I listen to my body more than usual. So you write in your book that you really felt like you had to choose between writing time and exercise time at one point. Have you reconciled that? If and if so, how, how what does that look like in your life right now? Well, it's definitely ever evolving. Um, Although one of the things that I did learn last year and wrote about in the book is I used to be really frustrated about that choice Mm -hmm. I needed to make because it felt like writing and exercise were these separate entities. They were both important, but I didn't see them as being cohesive at all. But really, they're actually intimately connected for me. And I found that when I prioritize my body in whatever way that feels good, which is usually yoga and meditation most of the time, it actually serves my creativity because it opens up a lot of mental clarity and it helps me feel more rested so that I can show up to my writing with more energy, which as a parent now is basically my top priority (laughs) in life. Um, So when I feel energized, you know, I can bring that to my work. So even if it means, you know, choosing going to a yoga class and then sacrificing that writing time, I'm pretty okay doing that at this point um, and and very comfortable. Yeah. Yeah, that is interesting. And I suppose too, it's having some faith that the words will still be there when your body is ready to sit down and write them. Yeah, I actually think that's a great point. It's a really big part of the process is just having trust in your own creative process. And I understand my body in a different way than I did when I was in my 20s and before I had a baby. And I just feel like my body is constantly telling me things like you mentioned having, you know, like those aches or little pains here and there. Like, I feel like my body is always speaking to me and telling me what it needs. And if I don't listen... I'm not going to be able to show up and do my best work. So it's always better if I choose to prioritize that time, even if it means I get a shorter writing session or maybe I don't even write that day. You know, I've never gone to a yoga class and thought, I wish I didn't go. Never once. So it's one of those things where, you know, and again, we have a theme going about frustrations (laughs) about the creative life that we have to overcome. But it's just one of those things like this 
did not, this was not an instantaneous realization. This really happened over probably a period of about a year or so of just kind of being frustrated with the state of affairs. Um, but then ultimately just getting to that realization that, you know, I'm a better writer and a better parent and a better person when I exercise (laughs) in general. And so, you know, and that makes me feel good. Yeah, so many of those important realizations seem to happen like just through life, like over the longest period of time. And then oh, you yeah. finally get it and you look back and you're like, gosh, why didn't I just get that sooner? It would have made things so much easier. <laughs> so another season that you shared about in Wild Words is the season of liminal space. And that's a time of transition of being not quite here anymore, but not quite there yet, wherever there happens to be. So it could be a time of transition between jobs or a time of moving or just a time of uncertainty, like maybe you're not sure what your next step is. And you relate this season of liminal space to winter and grapple with the idea that creativity doesn't happen because we're able to push through or get over this season. Deep creativity happens because of this season. And these times of pause and rest are necessary to our creative work, even though they probably feel unsettling in the moment. So how do you reassure yourself and others that those seasons of liminal space don't disqualify you from being a writer? And how do you use that time to its fullest so that you are prepared to dig back into writing when the time is right? Oh, such a good question. Uh, I think the very first step with liminal space is simply acknowledging it and recognizing that the season is there. I remember many, many years ago now when I finished graduate school, I hadn't yet learned about liminal space. And basically what I did was really struggle with this life-changing transition of moving from a full-time student to a full-time employee. And I was not giving myself any grace in this process whatsoever and really questioning whether or not I was still a writer because I simply wasn't writing as much as I was used to in graduate school. So now that I have the language around liminal space and know it's one of those seasons that is natural to experience, it's so much easier to just step back and say, okay, you know, there's some stuff going on, things are changing, I just need to reframe my creative life for a bit. So I think, you know, step number one is just recognizing that you're in it and being conscious of needing to just be very, very kind with yourself. And one of the things I like to recommend when you're going through liminal space is this idea of consume versus create. So if you're in a period when you're not writing as much or life is just happening, it's a really great time, I think, to consciously go out and do things like you could go to a concert or visit a museum or attend an art show or just read a lot, you know, whatever you like to do. And basically just kind of stay within the orbit of creativity and enjoy and appreciate it, but just not putting that pressure on yourself to be creating it all the time until you're ready and you've kind of moved through it. I like that. The orbit of creativity. That is a phrase from a poet for sure. (laughs) Well, and if you think about winter, you know, things are still happening under the ground, right? I mean, we Mm -hmm. don't see it, but, and then in spring, you know, everything comes back to life. So I really love that metaphor about liminal space that just because you're not 
creating or because you're, you're in maybe a personal transition and you don't know what the next step is, there are still things happening underneath. You still have ideas, you know, and things are still, you have to just, again, trust in that creative process that, you know, when the time is right and you're ready, that things will start blossoming again. Yeah, that is so smart. And even coming from someone who doesn't necessarily, and especially in LA, didn't get to experience like real winters where things truly hibernate, right? Um, which is actually <laughs> something interesting too. You just moved from the West Coast to the East Coast. Was it over the summer or over That's spring? Right. It was, we oh, moved okay. in December of last year. So it was right at this, basically okay. the start of winter. And so, I mean, yeah. that has come mm-hmm. with a whole new climate and new routines and even a new yes. work life. <laughs> so how has that like really big yeah. transition or a lot of like little transitions kind of stacked on top of each other um, impacted your creative rhythm? Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, I guess it's been about eight months now and really this year has just been all about experimenting to figure out how to arrange my days. And there've been a lot of ups and downs in that process. Um, something I've known about myself for a long time, um, but was just kind of proven over and over again to me these past few months is my best creative energy is usually accessed in the morning. So because I also have uh, freelance work I'm doing, it's really been a process of kind of testing out when I can do things to be the most effective. So one of the things that I started doing early on was I would try to do a lot of my freelance work in the morning because I wanted to feel like it was off my plate for the day. But then I realized that in part because I'm still working with people who are on the West Coast that I don't actually start getting emails until the afternoon on the East Coast. So that basically made me feel like I was working all day, even though that wasn't true. So I decided to just try something different. And when I switched to working on my own creative projects first thing in the morning and then doing some freelance work, typically starting like around lunchtime, that made a really big difference in terms of not only my productivity, but just feeling like I had such a better balance of activities during the day. Like I would get to, you know, get in bed at night and feel like, hey, you know, I did my freelance work, I did my creative stuff, you know, maybe I meditated, I cooked dinner and spent time with my family. Like it just felt like a good day. Um, So that's what I'm kind of working towards getting in a better rhythm about. So it's um, pretty consistent. And Also, though, in taking my own lessons to heart, I'm still in transition here. So I've had a traditional full-time job for 15 years. So it's unrealistic to assume that I'm going to have everything figured out about freelance life, you know, less than a year in. (laughs) Yeah, we're still figuring out freelance life and we've both been doing it for years now. It's it's a tricky thing to balance alongside creative work and family life for sure. Absolutely. So... All right, so this is going to be like a long setup to the question, but just to just to get our listeners on the same page with us, here we go. So uh, I want to talk about the book Digital Minimalism by Cal Newport. So I recently read this book this summer, and I know that you've read it too. And yep. 
Newport's whole premise is that digital tools and services aren't bad, but they are designed to be addictive and to keep our attention. So if we aren't intentional in how we use them, we end up in that mindless, time-wasting trap of social media or random news websites, and then you just kind of feel gross when you finally put your (laughs) phone down, however many hours or minutes later it's been. So true. Um, So in this book, Digital Minimalism, Cal Newport suggests taking a 30-day digital minimalism challenge. And this challenge is more than just a detox from online life. It's designed to make you think really hard about the values that you have around technology. And so it's designed to help you create long-term change in your tech habits. So rather than cutting everything off cold turkey, he encourages people to list all the technology that's optional from social media to streaming services like Netflix and Spotify. And then you give yourself a set of really specific rules about how you'll use them or if you'll cut them out entirely so that when your 30 days is up, you have a better understanding of how to make your digital life line up with your values. So uh, that's our basic setup here. So (laughs) digital minimalism is an idea that I'm really attracted to, and it sounds like it's a great boost to the creative life. Because if creativity is a value that you hold closely, you should be using technology in a way that contributes to that rather than taking away from it. But digital minimalism also seems to be at odds with seasons of self-promotion, which in your book you call the season of visibility, which is when you're doing that work to market yourself and to you know, build your platform and gain followers and just share your work with the world. So in your journey with digital minimalism, how have you chosen to live that out so that it supports your creative life? And do you allow yourself to change your technology rules during different seasons of the creative process? Absolutely. So this summer I took a 30 day break. I was incredibly inspired by this book and it just felt like a really logical time to do it because uh so i host a private facebook group for writers and we always take a break in july and december so i was already kind of off facebook um so i really just had to give up instagram and also it was right before i would need to kind of jump back on and really start embodying the season of visibility for wild words and all the book promotion stuff so it was just the perfect time to enjoy um, just some time off to just rethink my relationship a little bit. And I did come away with a couple of tweaks to my habits that I've been implementing after the break. And the first one is choosing to keep the Facebook app off of my phone. So for the break that I took, I decided to delete those apps on my phone. And I realized that I really didn't miss having Facebook on my phone a lot. I actually prefer using Facebook on my desktop anyway. Uh, So I love the idea of just kind of keeping that separated. And it's been, I guess, a little over a month. Um, Oh, no, I've only been back now for a few weeks. But it feels good. I really have no desire to put Facebook back on my phone, which is great. Um, I also learned that I do really like Instagram, but only when it's like a no pressure zone. So (laughs) I've really chosen not to focus on building a community there. Facebook is really where I like to be and uh, where I'm hosting my, you know, writing community. But occasionally or really a lot, I had found myself kind of slipping into those thoughts about engagement and expectations 
with Instagram. So I would post something and then, you know, constantly want to refresh to see if people commented and then get disappointed if people didn't or if nobody responded to my stories or the little like Q&As that you post in there. So I noticed that when I just have fun with Instagram and basically just share because I want to um, and just completely detach from outcomes, then that platform serves the purpose in my life of just being a really fun, enjoyable outlet when I want to use it. And then I think the second part of your question about the rules changing, I totally think they can and should change during different seasons of both your writing life and your personal life. So I don't really think social media is at odds with the season of visibility when it's used really consciously. So of course, you know, like when we have a book to promote, it's very natural to show up online more frequently. And that makes sense to kind of, you know, shout your work from the rooftops and be there to engage and, you know, promote. But I think one of the keys is not staying there. You know, that energy level can get really high, but eventually it needs to taper off, which in in some ways I think sort of happens naturally as the weeks go by, like after you launch anything new. But yeah, like anything, I really think it's about awareness and using those tools mindfully. So basically making choices that work for you, but definitely not using social media blindly. And I think there's just, it's so great to dig a little bit deeper and take an intentional break to just really see like, you know, what are your habits? How are you using it? How do you want to be using it? And just kind of ask questions that on a daily basis, we do not even stop and have time to think about. Um, so I think it's a great exercise to do, you know, maybe like at least once a year, if not more, if you feel like it. So yeah, the intentionality of it is really appealing. And I think the part that I like is that it's not just a detox from online life, but he's really challenging you to change your day-to-day usage of technology going forward. So I'm actually still in the middle of my digital minimalism challenge. I have about a week left and I don't know how much stuff I'm really going to add back in. Um, I, I think the biggest change that actually is surprisingly the change that has had the biggest impact on my phone usage is I disabled Chrome on my phone. And so I can't Google anything. Oh, that's and impressive. I, think I would have I'm, a very hard time with that. <laughs> I think I'm going to leave it disabled. Like there oh. are very few times that I like really need to know something. And yeah. if it's important enough, I can always just look it up later. But most of the time I'm just distracting myself from wherever I happen to be at the moment. Um, and then social media wise, I think I'm going to leave Instagram off except for maybe like one day a week. I'll make like, Oh, that's my Instagram day where I'll put it back on my phone and I can post if I want to and interact with people if I want to, because, um, like you said, I like that that space can be such a good place of connection, but you do start to feel some weird sense of pressure of like, Oh, I posted something. Did anybody say anything? Did anybody reply? Did I get like any little hearts? You know? (laughs) Exactly. And some people, Instagram might be a bigger part of, you know, kind of their ecosystem. And that's totally fine. And that's what I love about this is that like we both have very different examples of the stuff we're learning about taking a break from social media and just reevaluating. So I think that's wonderful. Yeah, the personalization of it is very 
very good. So yeah, I agree that that's something that uh, people should look into if they feel like their tech life could use an overhaul. I highly recommend that book. Yeah, I just checked today and I'm still like 85th in line for the library hold. So <laughs> maybe I'll get, get there, there by someday. January. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So last time we had you on, Nicole, we had what we call mini book club, which is just at the end of each episode, we try to share books that everyone has been reading or books that have inspired you, like your overall creative life, or even just something fun that you really want to recommend to listeners. So do you have anything that you wanted to chat about today? I do. I have two recommendations. So the first one is a new book. I think it came out in the spring. It's called Beyond the Point by Claire Gibson. And I read it when I was on vacation. I don't even remember how I heard about this book, but it was just so much fun to read. So the story is it's about three cadets who attend West Point, um, female cadets, uh, who attend on a basketball scholarship. And it basically follows their life through school and beyond and through deployments and relationships and all of that stuff. And I just found myself so wrapped up in the story. And it was really a place that I know very little about West Point. Um, so it was just kind of fun to be immersed in a different world. And when the book was over, I kind of just wanted it to keep going, or I hoped it would be turned into a mini series or something. <laughs> um, so it was just a really fun read that I had over the summer. And then I think from a creative perspective, um, Elizabeth Gilbert always comes up for me, but Big Magic which I can't remember. I hope that wasn't my recommendation the last time I was on. But I've really dipped in and out of that book a lot this past year. And one thing that I realize I love about it so much is it kind of just wants you to like stand up and say, yes, I'm a writer and I'm, you know, totally worthy of embracing creativity. It just gives you like a real boost. Um, and I feel like I feel like I could call her Liz actually because she <laughs> she goes by Liz. So Liz is, I think she's so good at being an encourager while simultaneously giving you a little kick in the pants as well. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so yeah, I I always recommend Big Magic to people. It's been about time that I revisit it because it's been a few years since I've read it now, and so that's making me think I need to pick it back up again. <laughs> Yeah. And it's a good one where you can just read, you don't have to read the whole thing. You can read, you know, a few pages or just a single chapter or something. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I feel like you said Gilbert is such a cheerleader, but she also doesn't just like poo-poo like, oh, writing's fine. You just have to sit down and do the work. Like she's like, no, writing is hard and you have to commit to it. But if you put in the hard work, it will be worth it. I promise. Absolutely. Doesn't let you off easy. No, (laughs) as it should be. Yeah. So what about you, Ashley? Have you been reading anything good lately or anything that's really encouraged you in your creativity? Uh, So I have been reading a lot of books lately, thanks to my digital minimalism (laughs) uh, kick right now. I've already finished five books in the month of August, and we are not quite halfway through. Oh, amazing. I normally read five books in an entire month, so I'm kind of on a roll here. But the one that I want to talk about today is one that I think would pair really, really well with Nicole's new book coming out, Wild Words. 
Um, so this is called The Art of Slow Writing, Reflections on Time, Craft, and Creativity by Louise DeSalvo. And I am only a couple of chapters in, but I already love it enough to give it a hearty recommendation. Um, she's basically talking exactly like what you said at the beginning of the episode here, Nicole, about writing in the margins, where she's talking about how uh, in our culture, we are so encouraged to move quickly and to be busy and speed and fast is kind of the name of the game in everything from business to blogging and content to um, even publishing books. She had a section talking about how even successful published authors, their publishers are coming back and saying, okay, now we want you to put out a book a year. And they're like, well, that's too much for me, but that's what people expect in this world of just constant speed and content. And she's making the argument that in order for you to produce your best work and your like good, deep writing, you need to slow down. And that's not a sign of failure. And that's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. And that's really what a lot of the best writers throughout history have done. They have taken their time with their work and their writing to get to the depth that they know will make their story the best it can possibly be. And um, I think it's a message that pairs really well with what you're talking about with seasons of the writing life and the creative process. And it's just really heartening as to hear as someone who does not have a ton of time in her day right now. And it seems like everybody has a book contract and everybody's publishing a book. And it's like, no, if you're writing slowly right now, you're not behind. You're doing the work that needs to be done. Yep. I love that. That book has actually been on my list to read, uh, but I purposely did not read it while I was writing Wild Words because it is similar to my book. And so I really wanted to just tune in and listen to my own voice and not have mm -hmm. all of those books on creativity, um, you know, in my head. But now that I'm done, I do want to pick that one up. I think it's exactly my philosophy. <laughs> yeah, I can see why that would be a smart decision as you were yeah. writing your book. But now that you're done, I do think that you would really, really love it. It's it's great so far. So how about you, Abby? Have you been reading anything good yeah, lately? Well, I'll chime in with a third book on creativity for everyone. Um, I don't know how I am so late to the game on this one, but I finally read Madeline Lingell's Walking on Water, which is her reflections on faith mm. and art this last month. And it is beautiful, as you expect her writing to be at this point. Uh, but one of the things she really emphasizes early on in the book and throughout the book that kind of reminded me of Wild Words was the idea of being time, like B-E-I-N-G, that time spent just being, you know, sitting on a rock and watching a stream or whatever it happens to look like for you, taking a walk in your neighborhood without your phone is important. It's important to being a person. It's also important to the creative life. And if you're not taking that being time, you're probably not creating your best art. Mm, that's yeah. beautiful. Yeah. So I think that, yeah, that book is one of my favorites. <laughs> yeah, I think that pairs well with, um, the art of slow writing and then also wild words. So if, if anyone out there needs like a trilogy of good creative, uh, books to kick them <laughs> in the pants, those, those are good ones to go to. Uh, speaking of wild words, we want you to tell everyone before you go, Nicole, about how they can get their hands on wild words. It's a pre-order at this point, right? 
It is, yes. So it comes out on October 15th, but you can pre-order the book and you can get more info about that at wildwordsbook.com. And if you're interested in joining the Wild Words community and to get an invitation to the private Facebook group, you can head to thewildwords.com slash community. Yes. And I also highly recommend that community for anybody because I mean, it's free and uh, the writing prompts always make you think. And even if you aren't able to chime in, if you don't have time or whatever, um, it's still really helpful to read what other writers are thinking and feeling at the moment. It just kind of helps you feel a little bit less alone in the process. So thank you for sharing both of those with us, Nicole. And thanks for coming back on the podcast today. It was great to have you. Oh, of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the Chasing Creative Podcast. If you like what you heard in this episode, be sure to stop by ChasingCreative.com to check out the show notes, catch up on past episodes, and subscribe to the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also join in the creative conversation by finding us on Instagram at Abigail E. Krebs or at Ashley Brooks Writes or by using the hashtag ChasingCreative on Twitter or Instagram. If you have any feedback for us, drop us a line at chasingcreativepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, go chase what makes you creative.